0: Of failure. System of failure. My signature does not make you a priest, Echo. You could never be a priest. How many of the statues do you have left? The Virgin Mary statues, how many? I have a three hundred. I will take all of them. I guess we are both sinners now. Hello, everyone. Matt here, and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 210, entitled The 23rd Psalm. This is the 34th overall episode, and there are 87 to go. Before we start, I just wanted to make mention of the fact that this is the first uh, podcast I'm recording since the death of Steve Jobs, and I just wanted to take a moment to uh, I mean, just talk a little bit about how Steve Jobs and Apple products uh, have affected me, particularly uh, this podcast. Not to kind of make his death about me, but uh, you know, certainly his whole philosophy in, um, oh, about what products should be about uh, and all of that that's out there that I don't need to rehash here. Uh, I mean, you know, how has it impacted me? Well, you know, here I have this interest in doing a podcast, um, and you know, it's it. it you know, the, the creativity or whatnot is on, is on my end to put it all together. But the, uh, the Apple tools that I have certainly make that possible. Uh, there wouldn't be a podcast uh, like the one that I do without the program GarageBand that that comes on all Macs, uh, which just makes, uh, multi-track recording incredibly easy. I can talk, I can line up clips, I can drag them into, to when I'm ready to use them, etc. And, uh, you know, if I, uh, Need to record audio on the fly, or uh, let's say the the one time that I, that I interviewed Pete from phgeek.com, uh, I used my iPhone for that with uh, quite good recording quality. So you know, it's just uh, it you know it certainly was sad to learn of his, learn of his death, but uh, certainly the you know the philosophy behind the products in terms of uh, normal average people having creativity uh, and and using the uh, you know these Apple tools to. Oh, to make whatever happen uh, is, uh, well, is something that makes this podcast possible. So I just wanted to share that, uh, share that little moment there. Uh, and with that, enough uh, negative, uh, negative dwellings. Let's uh, now get to the Wikipedia summary for the episode. In flashbacks, Nigerian guerrillas arrive at a small village, grab a young boy named Yemi, and try to force him to shoot an old man. However, his older brother takes the gun and shoots the man himself, thus saving the brother from the act. The girls are pleased by this and then force Echo to join the group, tearing his Christian cross from his uh, neck. Years later, Echo has become a powerful warlord. He meets with a drug dealer who's trying to get uh, his heroin out of the country. Echo offers to do him a favor, buying the drugs at a low price and taking them out of the country. The drug runner agrees, but is killed after telling uh, that he believed Echo had no soul. Later, Echo visits the church of his hometown, where Yemi becomes a priest. Echo asks him for a plane because only United Nations Relief and Missionary Aircraft are allowed to fly out of Nigeria, saying that he will fly the drugs away from the Nigerians and give his brother money for a polio vaccine. Yemi refuses to help. Later, Echo approaches again, simply asking for Yemi to sign ordination papers that make Echo and two uh, two associates priests so that they can arrange for the flight themselves. Uh, ultimately, Yemi agrees to that after being told if he does not, the church will be burned to the ground. Dressed as priests, Echo and two associates are loading uh, drugs into a beachcraft craft craft airplane. When Yemi arrives to tell him not to leave, the Nigerian military arrives shortly thereafter, killing a henchman and shooting Yemi. Echo loads his brother onto the plane, but the pilot, who has a gold tooth, prevents Echo from boarding and flies away. The military approaches, and mistaking Echo for a real priest, asked Echo, are you all right, father? On the island, uh, Claire watches Echo whittling scripture into the head of his club and mentions that Charlie carries a Virgin Mary statue. Echo immediately demands to see the statue, which he breaks open and shows Claire the heroine inside. Echo then goes to Charlie, demanding him to take him to the plane. Meanwhile, Locke teaches Michael how to use a gun, and then Michael asks Kate to have her shift at the hatch computer. And at the computer, Michael continues his conversation with Walt, which is interrupted by the arrival of Jack, who remains blissfully unaware of it. On the way to the beachcraft, Echo and Charlie find a parachute in a tree, which leads to the course of a Nigerian man dressed as a priest that Boone and Locke had previously found. When Echo sees the dead man's gold tooth, he tells Charlie that the man saved his life. Charlie loses his way, and Echo tells him to to, uh, climb a tree. Uh, As he is in the tree, explosions and a cloud of black smoke emerge from the jungle. It confronts Echo whilst flashing images of uh, him to his past. Echo stands his ground, and the smoke ultimately disappears. Echo and Charlie then find the plane, and Echo finds the corpse of Yemi. After taking the cross from Yemi's body, Echo tells Charlie that it is his brother, gives Charlie a Virgin Mary statue for the one he broke, and sets the plane on fire. Charlie asks uh, Echo if he is a priest himself, and Echo puts the cross around his neck and replies, yes, I am. The two then recite the 23rd Psalm from the Old Testament as the plane burns. After arriving at camp, Charlie apologizes to Claire, but Claire tells him to leave her and her son alone. Charlie then goes into the jungle and opens a hiding place where he keeps Virgin Mary statues. And with that, let's now get into my thoughts about the episode. Uh, certainly I mean this is an excellent episode. Uh and not just for uh not just for uh all kind of the basic reasons of the monster shows up or Echo is cool or this sort of thing. But anyhow, let's let's jump right into it. Uh it was slightly depressing that uh Charlie's been out of the game so long that the previously unlost segment had to start with him using heroin from part two of the pilot episode. But anyhow. The episode proper starts in Nigeria. This, of course, was a bit telegraphed since the previously unlost mentioned the drug running plane from Nigeria. But I think this is also, too, it's a point in the series where even casual viewers, they're bringing their A game. They're remembering, uh, you know, what they know about the plane, etc. Uh, it's also interesting that they use uh, it's either an orange filter or a yellow filter, but they use a filter on the camera to make it look third world. Uh it's incredibly effective. I mean, you know, they, they haven't left Hawaii. They have found some little patch that's a bit dusty or, or you know, with dilapidated buildings uh, in the background, whether that's real or it's been constructed. But, you know, you, you slap that filter on and it really does look like it's somewhere completely different. Um, it's a nice touch, too, that they go from uh, subtitles to English. Uh, with no particular fanfare, not even with uh, the fanfare that's been done in, uh, oh, the Said flashback where they kind of zoom into the mouth, and all of a sudden it's uh, you know they're they're speaking English, but you take it as uh, another language that just sounds like English to, to you. Um, it's just nice that they do it. I mean, you know, clearly they know they have a lengthy, uh, you know, a lengthy uh, bit of story ahead with uh, Echo in Africa. So the, the quicker that they are not subtitling it, the better. Which of course then returns to the question: Why they uh, continue to do Sun and Jin flashbacks in Korean? And I think the only answer with that is uh, that you then can't you can't have them speaking English uh, in flashbacks and not English or, or broken English or accented English in uh, back on the island. So anyhow, also mentioned too, it's excellent casting for for Young Echo. He's only in the one scene, but he certainly looks like uh, Mister AAA there. Uh, Story-wise, I love that Echo kills in order to save his brother. I mean, shocker, of course, that here we have a good person who does a bad thing, and then sinks into badness, then after a time, finds his way back to trying to try and, his true self of goodness. Uh, it's not new for the show, but uh, there's somehow this just feels different. The whole Echo story feels different. Echo's presence in the show somehow feels different, even though it's so similar. Uh maybe it's because he is uh this true yin and yang that he really is a true godly person who also is a stone cold awful killer. He really is somebody who in the other forty eight days can be concerned about the children uh in a way that no one else is just in terms of him saying somebody needs to watch these kids, other people are you know, other survivors are dealing with their own uh oh the reality of the tragedy that just occurred, but they need to put that, you know, make that secondary to caring for these children. He drops them off with Libby so he can then bury the dead. Uh, that degree of goodness. And then that night smashing someone's head and smashing in two people's heads uh, as they, you know, as the others attack. So it's these kind of extremes in which we see ourselves. Um. Anyhow, there's, between Echo and Claire, there's this discussion over the biblical Aaron and baby Aaron. Uh, you know, Aaron was a great man. He spoke for Moses. I'm not entirely sure, though, what the connection is. Just by evoking a biblical story, does that somehow add, add weight to it? I mean, certainly there's the inherent weight of a biblical story, right? But I don't know. It's, you know, they clearly can't hope to be forecasting something major with this baby, Uh, particularly insofar as we've seen that they don't, you know, they they already have had to address the fact that they didn't really have a long-term plan for, for Walt and thus need, you know, have needed to write him out of the show, Uh, you know, to address the fact that, you know, as we've spoken about before, these differences in uh, how long it takes to shoot an episode and how long it takes to shoot a season. And the first season took place over 44 days, but he aged a year Plus, et cetera, et cetera. So, I don't know. To me, it's just kind of some, you know, it's a biblical invocation that you're just saying, oh, it's the Bible. But it, it it really doesn't connect to the story. Maybe that in and of itself, though, is a comment. I mean, Echo gets done with this, oh, wonderful, oh, let me tell you the story of Aaron, Claire, and all this wonderful, uh, you know, all these wonderful things he did and all that the name impa- uh, Aaron imparts. And Claire goes, yeah, I just kind of chose it because I liked it. So maybe that's the du- the discussion. Maybe that's the comment uh, of uh, oh differences in religion. Maybe if you want to really bring it over to the show, differences in a sense of uh, faith or destiny uh, or, or or this sort of thing. But anyhow, <laughs> not too bad for something that I said the show didn't have much uh, much oomph with. Anyhow, the teaser act ends with Echo. Shocker of shockers, recognizing that uh, the Virgin Mary statue has drugs in it and saying, where is Charlie? Uh, If it's your first viewing, though, I think it's this moment of you saying, wow, we're going to get answers. You have the bit about the Nigerian drug plane floating around in your head. You have Echo in Nigeria. You have the Virgin Mary statues. Now it's going to come together and you're going to get answers about this mysterious character, this mysterious plane, and its mysterious contents tonight. And, frankly, unbeknownst to first viewers at this point, you're also going to get uh, The Return of the Smoke Monster. And that certainly is huge. Um, So, and, and the most smoke monster that you will have seen thus far, you get in this episode. So, anyhow, after the title card, we're in the hatch. And it starts off with what sounds like a wandering conversation, but it is not. you breaking in or breaking out? I used to love those old silent movies where the robbers would crack a combination lock with their ear pressed up against the safe. And the money they stole was always in a white bag with a big dollar sign on it. Silent movies, huh? You're not that old, man. I'm old enough. Setting a combination? With the new folks joining us, I figure we better limit people's access to the guns. You can't have just anyone who wants one walk in and help themselves. Which I'm guessing is why you're here, Michael. In a nutshell, that's that's the wisdom of the show that you're able to have these characterization moments. Uh, he's you know sharing a bit about his past. He's reflecting on his age, and that's all a lead up to what's your deal, Michael? Why do you want a gun? Because Locke has thought ahead. He's thought ahead about what what Locke wishes a father would do for a son, right? That's not that's not near the surface at all, uh, and there is a there is a, uh, a bit of a father reference uh, later on in the episode, which I'll get to in due course. But what's going on in Locke's mind here? He's the only one who really, you know, I mean, he's got the worst daddy story of them all. If I just quickly go through them off the top of my head. I mean, yes, Kate's abusive situation uh, with her stepfather is pretty bad. But it also is not clearly stated the degree of abuse that occurred. Uh, Jack's father set the bar high and was not kind about it. Uh, let's see, Charlie's father doesn't come to mind. Uh, I mean, as I go down the list, not a ton of ton of other fathers are popping into mind. But here, not only has Locke been abandoned from birth by his father, but he's then been wholeheartedly used as a as a you know, as a shop, right as a meat factory, uh, just to get some parts. And then, you know, the father disappears again. So Locke can imagine better fathers than he has. And he can imagine it by a long shot. Um, and here he's, he's able to predict what, what a good father or what, what was a good father in Michael, uh, will do to get his son back. So, Here we see the start of Michael as this driven man and the start of his fall. But anyhow, back outside the hatch, uh, Echo confronts Charlie uh, at the beach. And it's a pleasure. It's a real pleasure to see the two different acting styles and kind of confronting each other, mixing together. Echo is direct, hard, and angry. Whereas Charlie is funny, sneaky, and kind of pleasantly evasive. Uh, And it's something that the episode continues, where it's just kind of like, oh, there's, you know, everybody loves Charlie, but you're kind of sitting at home going, and he's being awfully protective of all that heroin. Um, It's it's a great episode. I I think I have in my notes later on, I say to a certain sense, this is a Charlie episode without flashbacks. Yes, it's obviously echo-centric but this is really the story of charlie um certainly the dramatic the dramatic motion of it is about charlie at least the on island stuff in flashbacks we see the fall of echo and on the island we have the end coda to that with redeemed echo we 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 don't see him becoming redeemed uh in the course of the island story and I mean I suppose there's a tad of redemption at the end of the echo flashback where you know you know he's mistaken for a priest and then now now we see him back on island picking up that mantle fully but you know stone cold killer here just you know just cuz he's dressed up in the outfit that does not make him a priest which is something that Yemi said in terms of the dramatic uh the dramatic shape of the episode it's Charlie who has the problem and deals with the problem, and ultimately loses out to the problem at the end of the episode. But anyhow, we move back to a flashback uh, with adult Echo, and it is one heck of a reveal. He's in a leather trench coat with no arms, it has etching or stitching on the back, he's clean-shaven, he has cornrows, it's, you know, wow, dang, that's impressive. And uh, also the flashback shows Echo to be quite the slick operator. Quantity of heroin in a country that has no purpose and no market for its sale. Your drugs are of no value here, so you must get them out. The borders are all guarded by the military, so you must fly. But as I'm sure you are aware, the only private planes currently allowed into the air are either UN aid or the Catholic missionaries. And so you have come to me for a favor. I will buy you hero for 50. Love it as a character because the actor is just great. Maybe that's it. That's one heck of a monologue. And uh, I didn't share the whole thing, but to, it's, he's such a capable, capable actor. And he can be so charming when he's talking about this drug deal. And then at the very end there, he says, for 50. That smile has disappeared, and it's the grimace of a very serious man who's capable of very, very serious things. And it's just all him. I mean, the writing's good, but he's the one making it uh, charming, then deadly in in the same paragraph. So perhaps that's it. And, And I just love, too, how he's presenting this deal with a smile and that hard edge returns. Uh, after the clip, he kills the drug sellers in a split second, and he lets the kid live. Uh, the, the, there was a kid who had, you know, was in the room. I said, "Kid, go get his beers," and he comes back after the, shortly after the drug sellers have uh, been killed. But why does he let the kid live? Is it out of the kindness of his the kindness of his heart? No, he says, "You know, tell other people I let you live." It's to perpetuate the myth of soulless Echo, evil Echo. Anyhow, back on the beach, Claire confronts Charlie about the drugs. And it's more of a, oh, wow, what is that sweetness uh, that we see out of Charlie? You know, more of that fake ignorance. Um, In the forest, as I referenced before, Locke is teaching Michael how to shoot. And I just love the layers of irony. Locke mentions that he learned about guns from going hunting with his father. A father who, of course, was not hunting for birds, but rather for an organ transplant. Uh, and Michael quickly masters the gun after blowing away uh, the ranch dressing there's just this wonderful close-up of maniacal Michael uh, clearly it's a foreshadowing of gun happy things to come of how you know he's he's driven to he's driven to that place he's gonna end up he's driven there by the love for his son by the dedication to his son by the fact that as is referenced a bit later in the episode, you know, Jack kind of comes in and says, uh, I want to let you know we haven't forgotten about about Walt. And you know what? We're going to, just as soon as we can, we're going to figure something out. It's like, just as soon as you can? I mean, we'll kind of mentally pause the show for a moment and say, okay, I understand why the hunt for Walt did not start out right away. Because it's dramatically uh, uninteresting to move from, to move from these two camps being separated, the tail section story, or you know the 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 rafties who became the tailies, this sort of thing. You want to spend some time with your whole crew together, so you're not telling the story of them getting together, you know. So I understand from that respect why it wasn't. You know, Michael returned one day, then the next day, him and the party went out for Walt. You need to let it breathe for a little bit on the same, you know. So that's kind of the dramatic function uh however looking within the reality of the show or or treating the show as reality yeah it you know it's jack kind of playing lip service it's jack saying you know it's it's jack saying he's not ready to go out or he's not ready to sanction it he's not ready to approve it for whatever reasons because you know there's other things on the list to worry about uh which is which you can you can see michael views that as condescending you can see That Michael feels he needs to operate outside the the structure of the group uh, in order to try and get his son back, Um, and I mean, I I know the actor uh, um, uh, Harold Perrineau was not happy with how Michael ended up being portrayed. He was not happy with the things Michael did, the choices Michael made, you know, the ultimate fate that Michael had. Blah 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 blah. To me, it's a fascinating story. It's not that Michael is likable, and not that those choices end up being the right choices. But there's just something tragic of the parent who was separated from, from his son for so long then finally is able to spend these 40-some-odd days together with him on the island and then says, you know what, this is no place for my son. And In the name of that, the raft is built. And because of that, he loses his son again. And then pursuing this pure thing, right, this, this desire to, to raise the child, it now completely corrupts him to, to being a villain and to being a villain you know, a few times over. So it, it, to me, it's a fascinating story arc. Um, anyhow, there's, as I said before, here's the note finally. There's a certain sense that this is a Charlie episode. Not that it's a Charlie flashback episode, but it's about Charlie's story. Uh, Even me as a Charlie fan, uh, I grew to dislike him in the course of this episode, lying about where he found the statue in order to protect the stash, which is there. Uh, Now, of course, we'll learn at the end of the episode, he, he already has a sub stash. You know, apparently he's been hopping over to the plane every so often to take more and more out. But, you know, the seven that he has already, plus the eighth in his bag or the, you know, at this point the eighth has been smashed but you know the eighth that he had that morning uh that apparently wasn't enough it wasn't enough for him to say sure echo let me take you there you know and whatever happens to all of that is fine no he's slowly planning for the long term you know long term heroin usage is is what it sounds like or a short term binge one hell of a binge um and of course he doesn't count on the the responsible and religious Echo uh, to be able to know exactly what a lying junkie looks like, which, of course, Echo is familiar with that. Um, I hope you're not picking up any of that music in the background. I have a neighbor who fancies himself to be a, I don't know, a guitar man, and I hear him playing. So if you do hear some in the background that's not uh, part of the the artistry that I mentioned in honor of Mr. Jobs—it's just, uh, well, the neighbor, such as life. Anyhow, we'll carry on, dear listener. Uh, anyhow, um, I love too that in in the middle of Charlie sticking up for himself uh, in what was becoming a strong character-driven episode—or you know what has been a strong character-driven episode—that little there's that little wisp of the sneaker smoke that goes by, the little wisp checking things out. And then all of a sudden you say, Holy cow, this is gonna be a big episode. This is gonna have the monster, which of course we have not seen in well, let's see, ten or eleven episodes. I can't remember what which part of the well, I guess it was in the two hour finale, which I podcasted as as uh as you know, I split that second hour in half. Um but I think it was the first half of that. So the, certainly, upon first viewing, that was May, and now we're ten episodes in. I don't have in front of me when the original air date of this episode was, uh, but I could get it up pretty quickly. Um, certainly, we're weeks and weeks and week—I mean, you know, it's it's months that uh, since we have, um, you know, it's months since we have seen the smoke. So it, it certainly is—you know—it's wetting our appetite. And I see here on uh, on Wikipedia. Sure enough, this episode aired January eleventh, two thousand six. So this probably would have been, you know, kind of coming back after a bit of a bit of a break for the holidays. So certainly it's uh, what May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December, January. So it's been nine months since we've seen the smoke. Good time to bring it back. Good time to bring it back. Good good job there. Um, just long enough where we're where we're starting to wonder, if, you know, does the show know what it's doing? the uh, The echo flashback continues to be strong. It's kind of very vaguely paint by numbers. I don't think that it's something that that one feels when they're watching it, but you know, it, it is a little obvious. Is the wrong word? It's a it's a little familiar or a little tried and true to have. The big brother who killed in order to protect the little brother who went on to, uh, you know, life of purity, a life in religion, this sort of thing. Um, You know, to me, it still works anyway, nonetheless. I mean, it's, you know, it's a compelling twist that one of them was always going to be a priest and one of them was going to be a drug lord. And it's not because of uh, good or evil in their heart. It's because of the circumstances around them. That's awfully profound you don't tend to view the world that way. You don't tend to think you know, you tend to think there's some bit of evil in there and it grows, not that suddenly one day drug lords come along and ransack your village for for, you know, child soldiers and you know, somebody's a priest and you know, and somebody's a devil and it's just flip of the coin basically that makes that. Um that that's a compelling that bit of story. Um Anyhow, after that part in the flashback, we return to Charlie and Echo in the forest. Uh, there's actually, right before that, there's a quick pit stop with Kate and Sawyer talking about how everyone likes Sawyer now. Um, but at, back to Charlie and Echo in the forest, There's it now has this added tension after seeing the smoke wisps. When will it return? You really have a sense of, you know, it's going to happen. Um he uh, Echo at that point, Echo and Charlie find one of the drug plane bodies, the one that uh, was in the parachute. Um, it's still kind of moist and squishy and icky. Uh, I don't know if that's scientifically sound, but eh. Um, and I mean, speaking of lack of logic, at least in, in terms of decomposition, Charlie brings up another thing that to him makes no sense. Saved your life, huh? Sure, that makes sense. He takes off in a plane in Nigeria. We're out in the middle of the South Pacific. That makes all the sense in the world. I remember seeing um, the uh, oh, was it season? What season finale was that with the donkey wheel? Was that season three, season four, season four? I think. Um, where when you see the island actually move? For that, for, yeah, we have been season four, right, when you see the island move for realsies, there it's not conjecture, it genuinely it's there, Jack and company are in the helicopter, there's a flash of light, and then there's no more island, and you kind of see the 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 dip in the water where the water you don't see the water filling the hole, but you kind of see that you know the the effects afterwards, it's oh, the island really does move for real, uh. I remember immediately thinking back to this scene, and it's you know that's how the Nigerian drug plane got there. And indeed, looking back now, of course it makes sense. Of course it's rational. A plane cannot go from Nigeria to the South Pacific, but if the island can move, then you know you're yeah you're merely just in the Indian Ocean off the coast of Africa by some by some uh, length, you know whether it's tens of miles or hundreds of miles. I, I don't know the range of a beachcraft. I imagine it would be probably in the neighborhood of 800 miles maybe they have extra fuel whatever's fuel cans on there maybe it's a thousand miles 1200 but it's enough to get from Nigeria to to somewhere in the Indian Ocean um anyhow uh back uh back in flashback Echo is confronting Yemi about the drug plan he he asked nicely the first time now he's coming back with a little bit more oomph unfortunately he's out of focus for part of his wonderful scintillating speech about good and evil not being so far apart i really don't understand how it is that you have people who don't catch that um and for them to have used it tells me that that was the best take that they chose for it to be less than perfect in order to get the best take So that's i don't know i it's All this money spent to do a TV show and end up with, you know, somebody out of focus. Meh. Anyhow, it's nonetheless particularly good drama. Uh, Yemi crossing the line into sin, making Echo and his goons priests on paper in order to run drugs and make money. uh, Money that does benefit the church. And, you know, Yemi, of course, is, uh, well, I shouldn't say, of course, Yemi is understandably uh, justifying it. Uh, in his mind, yes, he is sinning, but it's a sin for which he will be forgiven. Whereas he he kind of condemns Echo to committing uh, unforgivable sins. So um, back back on island, uh, we're heading towards seeing Smokey. And it's just kind of vaguely contrived that Charlie's lost and Echo's strong-arming him to get in the tree to find his way. Yes, on paper. Uh, In the script, it's all an excuse to get the smoke monster to Echo, but not to Charlie. It's good fun, though. On first viewing, it's not too obvious. Um, Still, though, the function of Charlie being lost to find the plane is to get him away from Echo so that Smokey can appear. And with Charlie in the tree, the scene literally goes silent for a moment. And there's just tension. It's letting the audience expect... What is next? And the show does. It it breathes enough to let you expect it. There's the vague sound of the tick, tick, tick. Then... wonder what must it be like for Smokey to see someone who won't run from him to scan this man and to see someone with so much good in his heart and so much evil in his soul or whatever metaphor you want to give it it's just you can only imagine what it's like for Smokey to just have this moment where you know Echo is unlike anyone else and I'd argue too that in this moment that's where you're seeing the a lot of the potential and the plans that the show has for echo or had for echo until he, he opted to leave the show that here he is, you know, not kind of in, in Locke's kind of semi incorrect sense of, uh, of destiny here. He is literally just staring down great, you know, great evil and great, uh, great malice and staring it down and, and enough for us to see that it's peering into him and peering into his soul or his memories or his thoughts it's just it's an incredible scene incredible st- scene uh and it ends with a strong close up of echo uh and i'm i just mention it for its uh kind of compositional beauty his eyes nose and mouth are in focus his cheek edges and ears are out of focus it's a very uh, i don't know if the proper term would be a strong close up or a or a you know extreme close up but um Anyhow, it's just, uh, it's well done. And uh, with that, we cut to Michael and the Hatch. Uh, and it's also a fantastic scene. He's cleared the joint out in order to, t- to talk to Walt. Uh, Jack comes in, and we don't know what's on the screen. It's mid conversation, and then kind of Michael's body is hiding it from the screen. There aren't any more close ups to the screen showing us. Um, and So Jack comes in, Jack has that heart-to-heart about how no one has forgotten about Walt. Uh, Clearly the show is saying that something is afoot with Michael. The show is repeating it from earlier. The fact that there is this secret conversation that Michael has told no one. Um, Of course, we couldn't imagine that it would end up with the final result. Two women dead, his friends betrayed, and escape off the island. But it's setting up the, the, the middle act of the season well i suppose for the rest of the season too i mean that's you know the season ends with michael michael and uh, walt getting off the island so uh with that we move to the penultimate echo flashback yemi of course takes the bullet and then the man with the gold tooth who we saw as the dead guy before kicks echo off the plane saved his life indeed and with that, we kind of, you know, we, we come back, il- back onto the island and uh, Echo's is entering the Beechcraft. And there you start to see the power of Lost. The body that freaked out Boone in the Beechcraft was this wonderful, heartfelt man in the form of Yemi, uh, a real priest, a real worker in the church, somebody who was genuinely concerned about the souls around him, unlike when Locke and Boone found the body of the quote-unquote priest with a gun, uh, which was the gold-toothed man um speaking of dummies by the way the the various dummy bodies that they have the prop of yemi's body does not look great uh the camera and the edit wisely kind of avoid showing it too much perhaps it's a good representation of what a body that's been decomposing that long would look like i don't know but for for tv purposes it just kind of looks I don't know, it has the wrong weight to it. It, it, it appears too light, um, which, you know, I know, I get it. It's There's been decomposition and, and drawing out and, and this sort of thing and probably, you know, vermin picking. And, you know, there's less there than when it was a full man, but it just doesn't, doesn't quite look right. Uh, the, the final flashback, though, it made me think of the, uh, the chapter title from A Tale of Two Cities uh, call, uh, entitled Recalled to Life. Perhaps not recalled to life but certainly recalled to a better path and here we see the beginning of how echo became a priest I love too that uh before echo torches the plane he gives Charlie that replacement statue uh yeah it kind of you know it's kind of a prop piece through which we get to see uh that Charlie has a, a much larger stash at the end of the episode because why end the episode with a happy note when you can end it with a an ominous one but I think that internally, within the within the reality of the show, Echo sees that it's not his place to take temptation away from people; rather, it's to help teach people how to avoid it. Uh, and I say, when I say Echo's place, I mean his place as a as a religious man, or religious leader, or a priest of sorts. Um, Charlie asks Echo if Echo is a priest after all. Uh, Echo says yes, and then he recites the 23rd Psalm in what feels tremendously potent and and calming. Um, is it, I mean, far be it from me to take away from King David's words. And, I don't know, I just think that the the recitation of the 23rd Psalm doesn't tremendously comment on the show. Uh though I will mention that Thy Rod and Thy Staff, They Comfort Me, does certainly have an Echo vibe, what with his Jesus stick. Um, but, you know, so it's not that, it's not kind of this this spoken um, monologue with Jacquino music in the background that, that leads to a montage. It's not that it's speaking directly to the show. Although, I mean, I suppose, you know, The Lord is My Shepherd is that... Uh, I mean, I suppose there's a couple of different ways you can cut it. You could say, you know, within the the, if the show is taking place in our real world, and you choose to put a religious slant on it, then yes, despite all these hardships, they still are being cared for by the Lord. That's that's one option you could take if that's your flavor. Within specifically the island, you know, there's unseen Jacob, uh, who certainly cares about them, who who uh, gives some care to them. Um he certainly does shepherd them away from over here and away from over there, but doesn't you know doesn't uh you know kind of doesn't uh lead them doesn't take away all temptation as as I made reference with echo, but uh you know kind of helps try and push them towards the right direction um so perhaps there's a perhaps there's all of that and and if that's what you choose to see fine there's certainly yeah, uh, you know, I'm not going to take that take that away from you as a plausible option. To me it's just you know, it's like if you if you go to a school play and the one kid uh you know, two kids do a scene from dumb and dumber and it's funny and you laugh and you applaud and then another kid comes out and recites the Gettysburg address. Which one is the greater? You know, which one's going to get more applause? I guarantee it's the Gettysburg address. Because of its inherent weight, however, who did more work? It might have been the two kids who memorized jokes from Dumb and Dumber and worked on their timing and worked on their rapport and worked on this, that, and the other, whereas the other kid just memorized words meaninglessly, um, despite their inherent weight and despite the inherent lack of uh, you know poetry of you know from Dumb and Dumber or or whatever movie you'd like to to insert in there. So that's kind of my only beef that it's kind of. You know, it's like, how are you going to finish this episode with some umph? Let's do it with, let's do it with gravitas. Let's do it with, uh, you know, a psalm from the end. Goodness, on Lost, there's only one. You know, you're either going to do the, you know, fourth, eighth, fifteenth, sixteenth, twenty-third, or or forty-second psalm. And G. Willikers, one of those is the famous one. So let's go with the twenty-third psalm. So that's my only take. Now, on the flip side, echo reciting that, and to a lesser degree, the the Catholic, the troubled Catholic Charlie. Uh, you know, saying the 23rd Psalm does uh, comment on their point of view, uh, and it does certainly reflect Echo's slice of life, which, uh, like few others, uh, is that he's found peace in his life. He's found relative peace. So, so that is that. Um, at that point, the, the recitation of the 23rd Psalm also leads to a montage. We check in with Sun and Jin and Ana Lucia. And Kate and Sawyer and Jack, and Hurley, uh, in what I take uh, to be the first time meeting Libby, or at least interacting with Libby. I'm sure they, they were in the same scene on the beach, but I couldn't help but be a little choked up in seeing Hurley and Libby together, uh, for for what we are you know for what we're seeing as the first time. While Libby is not a major character for the series, she's his soulmate. There's a sweetness there, and to think how long he lived as the island's protector. Still keeping his love for her in his heart, so that they could nonetheless meet in the end. it's It's wonderful. It's a wonderful, uh, wonderful little little moment there. Um, and oftentimes too, when lost does a montage, it ends the episode. And I would say that it does here as well, at least structurally. There is after the montage more time left to the evening's viewing. Uh, but I would argue that the episode itself, the one that's about echo, Uh, ends with the montage they might say well i thought it was a charlie episode yes i mean in in the normal lost structure though it is an echo episode we've ended with his story um in what i would call you know the epilogue we learn that claire has lost faith uh a theme of the episode certainly uh she's lost faith in charlie and she moves out Uh, the wonderful jacquino strings swirling they speak of firm ground but changing winds if you'll pardon the uh the the gravitas there claire you lied to me charlie i know i did sorry I safer to have it around. Her. Look, I, c- I can't have you around my baby, okay? Claire, I don't. Charlie, I don't want you sleeping anywhere near us, okay? I would like too that it's it's Charlie who leaves, trudging off the beach. Just go. It's not that Claire is moving out, it's that, you know, he's been kicked out of their home. You know, we can almost feel bad for him uh, until in a bit the music turns creepy and we see that he's struggling with the Virgin Mary statue. Uh, In the light, it looks faded and and bleached. Uh, It almost looks like uh, a skeleton of sorts. Um, And then, of course, he adds it to his collection of seven other statues. Uh, We then see this sinister, broken man who's given up his family on the island uh, in order to follow the dark calling of his soul, hoping for redemption. And that in and of itself is certainly uh, reminiscent of, of Echo. And, and I think it brings us back to, uh, you know, to the overall theme of the episode, you know, this kind of losing of faith, losing your way, uh, and this question of are you going to find your way back? Uh, certainly Echo does, and this is kind of the the start of his aspirations for the character. And uh, it also is, um, you know, it, it's it, it's reminiscent of the, uh, the big redemption that Charlie will have and the big redemption uh, uh, or, or the big thing he will do for everyone in terms of uh, warning them that it's not Penny's boat. And uh, it's just a very, fitting, it's a very fitting episode to pair the two of them together and, uh, and a quite good episode as well. And uh, with that, the episode ends. But of course, the podcast does not. Let's take a look at Lostpedia to see what little bits and pieces I've missed. Uh, Lostpedia says that this episode ended nearly a year and a half of speculation about the nature of the monster when it finally made its first full appearance. Uh, that might be a tad strong in that, certainly in the season one finale, I don't know that we saw much less than this. But certainly, the, certainly this is a landmark episode with more smoke and more screen time and it doing different things. And, uh, you know, uh, a, a closer connection of the little, uh, you know, spy smoke and the tree smasher smoke and then the actual billow itself and the fact that it can do this sort of brain scan or memory scan or, you know, to look into your soul. Um, it's it's a biggie. It's a biggie. Um The Lostpedia goes on to say the final season would reveal that the Man in Black could be seen in episodes as early as Walkabout. So a little reminder there, even though this feels like the first full appearance. uh, We've been seeing the Man in Black for a while, including last week in uh, What Kate Did. They mentioned, too, that a deleted scene from this episode shows Michael asking Locke whether he thinks the computer in the hatch could be connected to other stations around the island uh, or a main power source. Michael points out the amount of machinery in the hatch couldn't be uh, couldn't just be for a computer. Locke agrees to the possibility, but reminds Michael that the computer is just for the button and not for communication. I kind of regret that that um, wh- that that scene didn't make it to the episode. Not I can imagine why. Uh, it Certainly, is a, a jam packed episode, but still, I mean. I don't know. I would have liked, I mean, clearly at this point, we know there's other stations. We're going to be learning soon enough. You know, we're going to be seeing the blast door map soon enough. That's on their radar. Um, you know, last week, Michael mentioned the, the mentioned the blast door. So we're supposed to have our ears up for that. But I don't know. I would have liked just that little bit more of Dharma, interconnected stations, main power source, you know, all, all, all this stuff. It, it would have been nice. It would have been nice. It would have uh, just added that much more. Uh, anyhow, uh, Lostpedia also says, and this is, a, this is a good one. This is a really good catch here on Lostpedia's part and a good bit of trivia. Even though the line in the 23rd Psalm that Echo recites with Charlie is supposed to be the valley of the shadow of death, both clearly say the shadow of the valley of death. Uh, when the writers created the scene, they made that mistake. But upon reflection, believe that the error was appropriate, as Echo was never a proper priest. Now, first of all, minor continuity thing. Okay, so both Charlie and Echo get it wrong simultaneously. Eh. I'll grant the show that because I like the the artsiness of it. That the sh- you know that you know there they are in the shadow of the Valley of Death. uh, uh I mean it's just kind of this wonderful. Um, first of all, it's a bit of a juxt- juxtaposition, you know valleys don't really cause shadows uh, uh mountains do um the valley of death i mean that just kind of makes me think of uh oh the heart of the island that you're not supposed to go to it makes me think of the blast door map where it's the dark territory uh it makes me think of how they're safe enough at the beach if if stuff does attack them at the beach it appears to be others it's not this giant mystery um i mean heck The shadow of the Valley of Death, the shadow could be the smoke. And not that any of this is intentional. I you know, I think that they're maybe they like the ring of it too, or maybe maybe some of these connections occurred to the writers. Clearly it is on its surface, on its most accessible, on its most literal. It is a writer's mistake. And if you want to look at the reality of the show, it is a coincidental spoken mistake by these two characters. But The shadow of the valley of death. Isn't that just a luscious way to describe the smoke monster? The shadow of the valley of death. It's just, ah, wonderful, wonderful. And from that delicious uh, uh, bit of trivia, here's a slightly less important one, which I couldn't resist to share. Maybe I should have ended with the shadow of the valley of death, but here's the last bit. The Dharma Ranch composite shows the word Dharma on the label instead of Dharma, D H. -H 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 A R A M A instead of D H A R M A. So I think in the future, when they misquote religious text and it applies even better to the show, when the Bible can be improved uh, for the purposes of the show, maybe I'll end with that bit of trivia and not Dharama on the Ranch Composite. Anyhow, with that, let's look ahead to next week. 2.11 The Hunting Party, a seminal episode a key episode, and just, oh, and of course it is is—it is the return of Mr. Friendly, and, and for those of us, myself included, who missed the reference the first time, the reference to Alex. Anyhow, a reminder, the new episodes launch to the website, iTunes, and the Lost Podcasting Network on Mondays. If like to share feedback there's tons of ways to do it you can leave a message on the voice message line 732-707-1815 you can say hello to me on twitter where i am looking back lost you can send me an email to looking back at lost at gmail.com and of course you can find the show on itunes where reviews are always appreciated So, thank you very, very much for listening. It's been uh, wonderful speaking to you today. It's always so much great fun. And I will uh, join you all again next week for 2.11 The Hunting Party. Take care and bye-bye. Climb that tree. Climb that tree and perhaps you'll be able to get your berries. You climb it. What if I don't? You gonna beat me with your Jesus stick?